Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to my podcast. I am excited to get into this one today because of this week's events. The Speaker of the House vote. Wow. Um, but before that, I just want to say this was a huge week for my channel. Um, great numbers, tons of people. We maxed out around 3,400 people at one point during one of the streams this week. I mean, th those are some big boy numbers right there for an event like this. And to be watching C-SPAN for the most part, uh, I, I can't help but think a lot of people took notice. And we averaged almost 2,000 viewers on the last day uh, over the course of 13 hours. That That is big. I mean, my channel normally is around 250, 300 viewers average. And we, we were up there just rocking it and it felt good and I was proud of not only what I've done over the last couple of years by getting people interested in this stuff and building a reputation uh, to be someone who can be informative and positive in a time chaotic time like this but also my community my community has a reputation as being the place to be for events like this if you want to be able to joke around and and be among some like-minded people and that's not by accident. That's it's a lot of hard work that we've put in to curate the the chat and uh, push people in a in a certain direction instead of allowing just pure chaos and people to punch one another in the face in the chat and argue and insult and on and on. And I'm I am criticized once in a while for ruling with an iron fist and creating an quote unquote echo chamber, but. I, I think people want a place to just relax and hang out and be able to have some fun. It's it's like when you used to go watch election results at a bar or a party or with a couple of friends on TV. You, you don't want a guy there who's arguing with you and giving you grief. So I'm open to debate. I'm open to people with different opinions, of course. But when it comes to a Twitch stream about politics, I think you have to have a space where people who believe one thing can n not just constantly be on defense and fighting with others and, and just able to relax and have a good time. And, and I show my community plenty of stuff from people with different opinions and re react to that. Uh, so I, I, I don't think I could be criticized for not exposing my audience to different opinions. It, you know, it is what it is. So thank you to everybody who came by. Again, it was a huge week for the channel, and I'm hoping to carry over some of that into the following weeks. We'll see if the energy can keep up. There's a lot of exciting stuff coming up, uh, including uh, the fight over the rules package now that the speaker has been selected and the investigations and the the uh, must pass bills that this house will deal with now going forward it, it's going to be chaotic and and we'll be here for every step of the way so instead of doing the top three stories of the of the week uh, i'd rather just do uh, focus on the Speaker of the House vote because there was so much to talk about. There's there's a, quite a few angles to look at this story from. So let's jump right into it. The Speaker of the House must be selected before any other business can be conducted in the House. If all the members are considered members elect until this is done. And that is why the chamber was held hostage by the extreme members of the GOP who withheld their votes. And we saw this coming a mile away because the GOP had a slim majority. 
slim, 222. That gave them breathing room of losing four votes over the 218 threshold, if every member was there. Remember, in order to vote to select a speaker, you have to have a majority of the votes of the people present. Usually, it would be 435 members. But the Democrats, sadly, lost one of their members a couple of weeks after the midterms. Uh, uh, Representative McEachin in Virginia, who passed away. And they'll have a special election for him in the, in the next few uh, weeks or months. But the number was 434. If you divide 434 by 2, you get 217. And you add 1, you get up to 218. Now, members can be absent from the chamber during the votes, and that can cause some problems. There were a few Republicans that weren't present for every vote. There was even a Democrat who had to take off for a vote. But in the end, um, these Republican extremists, the House Freedom Caucus members, were able to hijack the process and, and get Kevin McCarthy to concede to all their demands in order to win their votes because he could only spare four votes. Once he lost five people, that was it. He was His speakership was tanked. Um, there is another way for people to vote, which is called present, voting present, and it lowers the threshold, but it's, it's not one for one. So if one member of the House votes present and there's 434, well, now it's 433, and you divide that by two, and then you round up or you add one. But it still wasn't enough uh, breathing room for Kevin McCarthy to get away with, with not having to deal with these House Freedom Caucus members. But... I never saw this coming. I, I, well, I guess I did, but I thought the Republicans would have the skill to bring their caucus together, realizing the damaging effects and how poorly it would look for their party if they took this beyond one ballot. But for the first time in 100 years, the Republicans failed to select a speaker on the first ballot. You have to go back to 1923 for another instance of it taking multiple ballots. And then it, at that time, it took nine, which we beat that record uh, with this vote. We, did, we didn't beat the all-time all record. And, and I think there was a couple, there's at least four other uh, lengthier um, selections of a speaker. But, you know, th this was pretty bad with how long it took. But Republican Party just um, floundering in front of the world and the American people and inviting chaos into the process. And I, I think that's exactly what the American people don't want. They, they want to see <clears throat> the, the government be run. There may be a disagreement on policy and, and they may want their, their positions to be uh, entertained and compromised to be, to be made. But a non-functioning chamber is very problematic. And, and I'll get into that. Why? I mean, ultimately, the damaging effects are, are, are numerous. And when you have a third of our government offline, you, you, you have plenty of problems starting to brew in the background. And, and let's, look, let's talk about some of this stuff. N number one, it's a step back for democracy. It's the old two steps forward, one step back. So we beat back Donald Trump in 2020 and elected Joe Biden. And then recently, in the 2022 midterms, we defeated extremist candidates who uh, denied the 2020 election and, and were sowing doubt about even their own elections. And, and that was a 
message from the American people that, that we don't want this extremism. We, we want a normal functioning government because more moderate Republican candidates that were on the, the same ballot as some of the extremists did very well. And it was a clear sign that these that of candidate quality. Um, but it, this this chaos of selecting a speaker was a step back. It, it showed the world that there there is there are still some problems here with our democracy, and we're supposed to be a shiny example for the world. We're the oldest democracy in the world. We're we're supposed to be the the guiding light, and for the world to to see us struggle to run our country, even for a couple of days, is is damaging to our reputation. So that was truly unfortunate, and I I think um, we'll be able to bounce back, of course. You know, it's not the first time this has happened, but it's unhelpful. That that's for sure. Um, but anytime there's a transfer of power, it it is a moment of weakness for us. Uh, the The greatest example is when a new president is sworn in. They have to hire new staff. They have to get people caught up on uh, intelligence briefings and find out what's going on and. And just, you know, get their people in and confirm the positions and, and we're exposed a little bit to, uh, to um, uh, attacks from our adversaries and just even not being able to focus on our adversaries around the world and, and be much more focused on ourselves. It's, it gives opportunity to bad actors to uh, take advantage of that moment. And so this was also a transfer of power with the Speaker of the House vote. And our soft underbelly was exposed here for the week uh, as our, our enemies around the world laughed at us and and um, also took advantage of the time to do Lord knows what. Uh, we'll have to see what, what, what the future brings. Uh, hopefully nothing bad. Um, but on a, on a finer note, um, Members were not sworn in, as I mentioned a little bit ago. So they were all members elect, and and that means they couldn't receive security clearances. Some of these guys are heavily involved in intelligence. Uh, uh, members couldn't get intelligence briefings on Iran, China, Russia, etc. The, though their staff could, because they're still employed. So kind of in an awkward situation. Some of the members' staff knew more than they did, and they couldn't share that with the mem members elect because they were not sworn in. So very awkward, very odd. Uh, the members could also not access skiffs. These are the secured uh, rooms that are used for to review intelligence uh, updates. And so they couldn't even get into those because of that. That's the, these are the the real ramifications of not having a speaker because once the speaker is selected, they, immediately the members are all sworn in after the speaker is sworn in by the Dean of the House, the, the longest serving member. Um, but until that happens, they're, they're all just in limbo and waiting. Also, committees weren't formed to conduct the daily oversight of the Pentagon and intelligence agencies. I mean, these committees are heavily involved in, in work, in, in um, conducting oversight of, of our military and our actions around the world and, and uh, intelligence and what's going on. Um, the committees couldn't access the, the members couldn't access money to hire staff and and open offices. Um, existing staff members would would stop getting paid if they didn't get things moving in in a week or so as well. I think the deadline was uh, January thirteenth or something for the members to be able to approve uh, uh, money to be spent on on um, 
staff's salaries. So, you know, th these are big, big things, you know, people are not everybody can can miss a paycheck and uh, be able to still live their lives. So this is this is important stuff. And, you know, the last thing I'll say about the, the members not being sworn in and the problems around it is the scariest thing is that the they couldn't Congress wasn't functioning. Um, a third of, of, of our government was offline. And one example of, of them not being able to do something would be that if there was, let's say, a major terrorist attack or an attack on our military somewhere in the world and Biden needed to send in troops to, to conduct an operation, um, you know, like after 9-11 or something, uh, happened like some like after 9-11 happened where where um, we immediately started talking about responding um, Congress wouldn't have the ability to stop or authorize that you know that they the War Powers Act requires Congress to respond within 60 days and they would be offline they wouldn't be able to do that so it would be a bit of a, a problem you you can imagine so there, there were real world problems from these Congress members not being sworn in. And uh, thankfully, thankfully that that was um, completed on Friday. Ultimately, it took 15 ballots over the course of four days. And it was just wild to watch this whole process unfold because it, it was an inter-party conflict. The Democrats just sat there watching and had no influence at all except to talk to some GOP members about them staying on the floor in order to uh, make sure they could vote for Hakeem Jeffries, the, the Democratic leader. But this was just a public, embarrassing fight for the GOP. Uh, it's like going to a restaurant and the couple at a table next to you fighting. I mean, work that out before you get to the restaurant. Why are you bringing down everybody else in the room? We're trying to get to business here. And these guys had months to work this out and they failed to do so. And, and so they, they thought that the public pressure of going beyond one ballot would force the extremists to get in line and, and they bet wrong. And it just shows the weakness of Kevin McCarthy's leadership. But the extremists are in control and, and giving into their demands, which Kevin McCarthy did, showed just how weak he is. I mean, you do not give in to terrorists. And, and a lot of people were describing these Freedom Caucus holdouts as legislative terrorists, e even moderates like Dan Crenshaw and the Republican Party. So that is going to be a problem for the GOP moving forward. We don't know how how it's going to play out, but it's pretty obvious. Once you give in to an extreme element in your group, then they're they're going to be emboldened and they're going to ask for more as time goes on. So that that problem has not been nipped in the bud, shall we say. And and the frustration was evident um from the GOP. They they were playing it off on television to their base as, well, this is democracy. People want to see this. This is having a discussion. This is a fruitful discussion. And I disagree wholeheartedly. This was, again, just a fight within their own party and showed chaos, not leadership. I mean, um, they they said, look, it hasn't happened in 100 years because of the establishment holding back and, and people and keeping everyone in line. So so this is good that it's it's happening. And, and this is a sign of a healthy democracy. And, and I just I couldn't disagree more. And, and you saw total 
uh, signs of, of, of the opposite. For example, the, on the last night, Mike Rogers, um, congressman from Alabama, had to be physically restrained as he confronted Matt Gates uh, during the 14th after the 14th ballot uh, for tanking Kevin McCarthy's um, uh, getting the speaker right there. They, they thought they had it, and I guess there was some miscommunication with Matt Gates and another Congress member, Rosendale, and, and in the end, everyone was mad at Matt Gates. And, um, I mean, just a wild scene on the House floor. It was actually pretty sad. It, it reminded me of when guns were drawn on January 6, 2021, by security members in the House, and they moved a piece of furniture in front of one of the main doors to get into the house chamber and and uh, it was just sad you know you, you see these sort of fights and and uh, chaos on on the floor in other countries that that struggle to govern and that are that are much weaker than us and it was it was sad i mean seriously it, it made me a bit emotional um to see the fight on the floor because it, it was um out of control and um Pretty tough, but I, I on a positive note, there have been there has been worse violence in the chamber uh, years ago, and we bounced back from that. So I'm confident this this will not set us back, and 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 we'll be just fine moving forward. But that entertains the question: What concessions did McCarthy make to win over these people? Well, the one that people are talking about the most is the motion to vacate by just one person. That means one person can can call up a vote. <clears throat> can request a vote to um, get rid of the speaker. And obviously all the Democrats are going to vote for that if it, if it happens. And then we're back in this situation where, where five people are in control. Now, the, the argument the GOP will make is that this isn't a big deal. This is how it's been for a lot long time until Nancy Pelosi got in in 2019. And she restricted this, this uh, vote to members of leadership, essentially. Kevin McCarthy had a concession he offered of five members being able to call for a motion to vacate. Uh, but in the end, he gave in to the, the extremist demands and, and allowed it to go down to one. Now, what, what's going to happen with this? I don't know. Um, the, the House Freedom Caucus members have committed to not abusing this. But whatever that means, I don't know. Um, the, the Kevin McCarthy could be... Um, ousted in a week. It could be one day. We, we could see in one day, we could see someone get so frustrated they call for this and, and it sets the house back and right back into the chaos once again. So I, I'm curious to see how that plays out. I mean, there's quite a few people thinking Kevin McCarthy's not going to last the next two years. And, and I think that's, that's not the craziest bet to take in the world. I'll give you that. But a bigger concession that Kevin McCarthy made is on what's called the Rules Committee. This is not the most popular committee. Most Americans probably never even heard of this committee. And honestly, I don't know that much about it. But the committee controls which bills make it to the floor. And they decide which amendments are considered as well. It's, it's made up of 13 members. And the, the GOP will have nine seats and the Dems will have four. And one of the concessions that McCarthy made was to give the House Freedom Caucus, the, 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 again, the House Freedom Caucus is like 40 members made up of Marjorie Taylor Greene and people of, of that ilk and the extremists, you know, the hardcore, they call them conservatives in, in, their, in their caucus as opposed to moderates. 
And the concession that McCarthy made was uh, was to give three of the nine seats the Republicans have to the House Freedom Caucus. And and that essentially allows um, them to spare two votes on the, the rules committee. Because if three members, three people, uh, uh, GOP members, united with the Democrats, they would have seven votes and be able to tank any legislation or force uh, a bo- uh, something to the floor. So it's, it's, it's um, pretty powerful. And that the Rules Committee is, has been used in the past by speakers to prevent certain embarrassing votes from happening. So let's give an example for the left, um, Medicare for All. Uh, yes, there's there is support for Medicare for all, but because the bill doesn't have an, didn't doesn't have enough support, it would fail and it would embarrass um, some Democrats. And some people may say that's good, you should allow that. But I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but the House Freedom Caucus could force tough votes for moderates in this case that they've avoided in the past. The, for example, major cuts to Social Security to try to uh, balance the budget. That's something that could be on the table, and um, they they demanding a a vote on term limits. So that's that's something that's very popular with the the right term limits. They they think it's a a solution. I disagree. I don't think term limits solves anything, um, because they'll they'll just groom the next person to be in the same position and 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 keep the system afloat that they've got going. Now, term limits for lifetime appointments, like the Supreme Court, the highest court in the land, yeah, I'm, I'm 100% on board for that, right? We already have term limits for these guys in the House. Every two years, they're up for re-election. So it's, 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 it's kind of a low-hanging fruit issue that doesn't solve much, but it, it gets a lot of attention. So they, maybe they'll get their vote, vote on that. And I'm, I'd be curious to see if the Republicans all vote for it. I, I don't know. Um, but, but another promise that McCarthy has made is to balance the deficit in a decade and cap spending at fiscal year 2022 levels. And that could mean a, even a 10% cut to defense spending. So that's going to be fascinating to watch because almost 90% of the Republican base supports increasing the military budget. That's a very popular position on the right to increase funding for the military, even though it's getting closer and closer to a trillion dollar budget. But now the GOP is going to entertain cuts to the military as well as social security medicare all these things right and then that's going to just just going to be a disaster for the right but they that this is where they're headed and and these extreme members are are fiscally conservative in, in an extreme way in some cases and they're going to demand this stuff so I, I just don't know how this looks good in the end for the gop but um, they're, they're going to have to deal with it and uh the, you know some of the upcoming fights beyond legislation in the in in the rules committee is raising the debt ceiling that's going to come up here in a couple of months um i think the limit right now is 31.4 trillion and we're fast approaching that so that's going to be a huge fight the the democrats and senate republicans are probably going to want to put forward a clean bill that means no cuts just raise the debt ceiling and move on 
and the house republicans are going to see this as an opportunity to fight and but thankfully it won't just be the democrats versus republicans it'll also be the senate republicans led by mitch mcconnell where cooler heads prevail and uh so we'll, we'll have an odd odd teammate to fight against the house gop on the debt ceiling being raised but also on other issues too so that's that's going to be interesting and listen, I, I don't mind talking about lowering the debt. I, I do agree that it's 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 spiraling. It's it's getting out of control and, and somebody's gonna have to deal with this, right? But we're not gonna get out of debt by just paying it off. We we have to invest in our people. That that's my point of view. People out there can disagree, but I, I think you can be fiscally conservative, right? You you should watch what you're spending and make sure you're getting the best value for the money, but we have untapped potential in this country. For example, we have 600,000 homeless people. Well, those are people that aren't working. Those are people that aren't contributing to taxes and their communities and, and it, through no fault of their own. I, I, I don't think that these people are lazy or they're just out there living the bohemian lifestyle or something. Most of these people, if not almost all of them, would love to be participating members of society and starting businesses and working at businesses and living the dream and and of course uh, take raising their kids in, in with security and and health insurance on and on so you know let's invest in the american people it, it, you got to spend money to make money and and let's let's deal with some of these issues that are holding our people back from from really popping off and, you know, things like Medicare for all, I support that. But I think the way to get there is lengthier than people can stomach right now. And we, we, we have to take steps towards, towards that because you need a healthy populace if you want people to succeed. So, but that, that's a whole other story to talk about. But in any case, my point is that I'm all for talking about the debt, but I think that our solution on the left is different from our friends on the extreme right. Uh, and um, perhaps a conversation on this will be good uh, in the end. We'll see. Another thing, a big fight that's going to come up a little later in the year is funding the government beyond September. Thankfully, Republicans and Democrats from the 117th Congress that just left realized that these Republicans in the House are crazy and going to cause problems. So they were able to pass a spending bill to get us through the fiscal year, which ends in, in, in September. So, but we're going to have to fund the government beyond that, and the House is involved in that. So that's going to be a big fight right there. Now, one last thing I wanted to talk about with, with this fight between uh, fight for the votes to get Kevin across the finish line and become speaker was the force the vote crowd started making some noise saying, look at this. We were right. We have been exonerated. We, we have been um, uh, proven right that if only AOC and the squad had forced a vote in 2021 for Nancy Pelosi to get the speakership, then we too could have had all these concessions and, and even gotten uh, Medicare for all a vote on the House floor. And in some ways, they're right. I mean, they can say this right now, of course, because we don't see the fallout of all these concessions and this fight in the GOP and, and what problems that will lead to over the next two years. 
uh, probably costing them the 2024 election. Honestly, I mean, it's just going to be pure discord in the House and everyone's going to know who's at fault and no matter how hard the GOP try to spin it. And you win elections right now by winning over moderates and independents. And those people don't want to see chaos. They want to see the government function. And so while the force the vote crowd, and it's a small group of people who are grifters, in my opinion, Jimmy Dore, Brianna Joy Gray, these people are are smiling, thinking that, that they have been proven right, uh, that the Dems should have done this strategy and withheld their votes in 2021 to force Pelosi to make concessions. Um, all I can say is... Um, like people such as Sam Cedar are saying, it's a joke. And that that will be proven over the next few months, if not weeks, by the chaos in the House and how detrimental that is for the GOP. Uh, forcing votes on unpopular bills is not a good way to win win over the people. The American people are not going to be outraged by a vote on a bill that fails um, and then demand that their Congress members vote for it in the future or primary them uh, further down the line. It, the attention span of the American people is short, and that's not an American people problem. That's just human nature. The people aren't, don't really remember what happened two years ago when they go vote. Uh, for example, Biden's withdrawal in Afghanistan that didn't go as well as people would have hoped wasn't at top of mind when people voted in the in the midterms in 2022 because it happened a year before, over a year before. And while I don't think people will cast a ballot based on this week's events of selecting the speaker because a lot of time I've gone, I do think that the events that transpired over this week will impact what happens over the next two years that will then be at top of mind for people when they vote in 2024 for members of the house you know things that happened just months before the 2024 elections will be a result of all the chaos that started this week that's my point so it's cute to see the force the vote people pipe up at this moment but um I think we'll all be proven right that force the vote was a terrible idea. We'll be proven right very shortly by what transpires in the House and the chaos that ensues. Something interesting to point out was over the course of the votes, the ballots this week, Trump's waning influence was on full display. So if it wasn't evident that Trump's star has fallen after the 2022 midterms where candidates that he endorsed were considered too extreme and unpalatable by the American people, rejected wholeheartedly people like Herschel Walker, Mehmet Oz, Carrie Lake, on and on. Well, this week really showed how low he has sunk. Donald Trump came out and said that it's time to vote for McCarthy. This was before the first ballot. He... he wanted to unite his party. And he's still the leader of the party as, as much as I don't believe that um, for the for what's going to happen in the future. Technically, he's the leader right now. You could say that like Ron DeSantis is more popular 
but Trump has the infrastructure, Trump has the history, Trump is still kingmaker in a strange way, but but because there's no one else filling the void and there just hasn't been enough time or events to take place for someone else to be considered the leader. But boy, it was it was just pathetic to see Trump's influence. So his his pleas to to vote for McCarthy were ignored by the most hardcore members. Um, um day the first couple of days, twenty up to twenty one people voted either for someone else than Kevin McCarthy or present. And and that is just a huge slap in the face of Trump. Number one, that his influence is waning, but also that um you can defy Trump and that he's out of touch with the most ex- most uh, exciting and hip and and extreme elements of the base who get the most attention. You know, Trump Trump did well when he was the most extreme part of the Republican Party. But now he's out of step with those people and, and they've turned their back on him. I mean, they still show deference to him by saying, you know, I respect Trump, but I, I just think he's off on this Kevin McCarthy thing. They, they're probably going to use the line that Trump's being advised poorly by other people, right? As if Trump can't make any decisions on his own and uh, this isn't his fault. He's just surrounded by some people telling him bad information and, and it's, you know, the poor guy, he he, he can't get a, a solid answer from anyone. So it's it's not his fault, right? It's a pathetic excuse. Um, but, you know, the most egregious example of Trump being ignored was at one point, Lauren Boebert went on the floor and gave a nomination speech for for another person besides McCarthy. I think it was Kevin Hearn, which, she, you know, th- these clowns switched from from one person to another, showing their their lack of seriousness. And I'm, by clowns, I mean, Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert. And uh, Andy Biggs, a few of these guys stood up and made nomination speeches. They they went from Jim Jordan to um, no, they went from Andy Biggs as their first alternative nomination to Jim Jordan to Byron Donalds, a know nothing sophomore congressman. And no offense to him, but he's, there's nothing special about him, and they they claim he's. He's this amazing guy, and they all rallied around him. They even got the poor sucker to vote for himself, too, at one point, abandoning McCarthy. I mean, that's that's probably going to hurt his career moving forward since McCarthy ended up winning. I don't know. He got caught up in the in the idea, the fantasy, that maybe I can be Speaker Byron Donalds. But um, and he was even used as a prop. I hate, to, I hate to say it, but those are the words of Cori Bush, Democratic congresswoman who is uh, considered one of the, you know, the most extreme voices in our party, shall we say, even though she's not that extreme. She she famously slept on the Capitol Hill sla- steps when um, the, the, um, the uh, what is it, the eviction moratorium was, was being lifted by the Biden administration and um, the Supreme Court weighing in on it. Um, you know, there was a protest on the Capitol steps and she, she slept out there and, and got a lot of love for that, which, which was great. You know, I love that kind of activism. I think that was her using her skill set because she, she was an activist before she became a lawmaker and, and to see her, uh, lean into that as a lawmaker was very powerful. But anyways, she called him a prop because the, the, the GOP shamelessly said that if we elect Byron Donalds, a black man, it'll be the first black leader speaker of the house and and they said that 
in in uh, opposition to the Democrats who were elected, who were nominating Hakeem Jeffries, who would be the also would be the first black speaker and happens to be the first black leader of a party in in uh, either chamber, the House or the Senate. But Republicans thought it was cheeky to, to play some id poll, too, and say, well, we've got our own historic nomination here and it was so sad to see the whole thing play out it was you know i yeah i I, i'll hold my tongue on on further comment on that um but bobert went down to nominate someone and she said it's time for trump to um uh, she didn't use the exact words but basically withdraw his nomination of kevin mccarthy basically telling trump what he needs to do that that was a wild moment right there for a uh, House member to tell Trump what he needs to do. And it just shows that um, how far how far he's fallen, poor Donald Trump. <laughs> I don't feel sorry for him, but it's you know it's it's he he's such a shell of what he once was. And and so many people out there don't realize it because they're not following politics as closely as I am or people in my community. And so they're still stuck on this scary idea of Trump from 2016 and uh, you know and before the democrats took control of the house and neutered him a bit or you know even trump 2020 where he was crazy and 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 shouting at people like uh, all the time um but but you know it's trump is is really fallen and uh, i highly highly doubt he wins the gop nomination unless uh something happens to ron desantis or someone else and um and and the funny thing is he'll he'll claim he was robbed and so he's not going to get behind the GOP candidate. If he does, it'll be, uh, you know, in a very neutral way, without saying anything, without you know going out and rallying support. I mean, it'll be a real half-ass endorsement if he does. So that's that's going to be great for us. Um, but I think a lot of people saw how far his star had fallen. Another example is Bobert. She went on Sean Hannity's show. And got into a verbal dispute with him, talking over each other. And, and he was telling her, look, you don't have the votes. It's time for you to withdraw. You're telling Trump, you're telling McCarthy supporters that he doesn't have the votes. They have 200 votes. You have 20. Like, obviously, you're the one losing here. Uh, but it just showed how out of touch the establishment is right now. The establishment, quote unquote, people like Sean Hannity and Kevin McCarthy. And, and you know, Trump is part of that now, too. And they're the ones who are still considered the power brokers, but they are not in step with their base. And that's going to lead to problems moving forward. And it's going to be much more evident to the American people as we get into the 2024 election cycle here in the near future. But it's interesting to see it right now. Another instance of Trump's waning influence was at the height of a drama, a dramatic moment the 15th ballot, the one where uh, Kevin McCarthy, or no, the 14th ballot, where Kevin McCarthy was uh, thought he had it, and and it was, you know, they took a big break for the day. They came back at 10 p.m. Eastern to vote, and that and there was a lot of talk about that's it. They got the votes. They they worked it all out with their members, and uh, Rosendale, a congressman from Montana who has been against Kevin McCarthy this whole time, he ended up voting for for uh, someone else and and uh, not voting present and that caused problems but we found out before he did that marjorie taylor green was trying to get his attention and get him to talk to donald trump on the phone there's there's a famous photo now where marjorie taylor green is extending her phone to rosendale and he's waving her away and you could see on the phone screen it says dt 
Donald Trump. So, you know, Rosendale not refusing to take Trump's call at a pivotal moment and ignoring his entreaties to vote for McCarthy. Uh, so, wow, really shocking. And, and then finally, I'll say Matt Gates played played around nominating Donald Trump. He, he was the other one of the other names mentioned. I, I said that they nominated a few people and Donald Trump was kind of a, a joke candidate, shall we say, that made Gates nominated and he only got one vote. So it's kind of embarrassing. And, and and Matt Gates ended up voting for him three times on three ballots, you know. And it, it was just so unserious that it, it kind of, it was comical. And it, it brought Trump's stature down a bit because it was sad to see him get one vote. I mean, most people probably laughed. But again, I, I, I just think it's it's pathetic when a candidate doesn't know to leave or, and, or you know, a star in anything doesn't know when to leave. And they're kind of limping along. And that's what Trump is doing. He, he you know, you, you should gracefully bow out. Like, look at Obama. He's not he hasn't given any opportunity to be embarrassed by putting himself into an awkward situation due to his ego or anything. And but Trump has. And and so here we are. Uh, three more ballots were cast with Trump losing, of course, taking three L's for no reason at all. But Matt Gates putting him in that terrible situation where he, he got one vote three times and, and looked pathetic. It was it was quite a, quite the shocking, honestly. But um, in the end, after Kevin McCarthy got the votes and gave his speech on the floor and got the, the gavel as speaker, he actually thanked Donald Trump when he spoke to reporters and made a point to, to mention him, saying this wouldn't be possible without him. So, uh, I, you know, Kevin McCarthy owes everything to Trump from what he did right after January 6th. Immediately after January 6th, Kevin McCarthy made comments on the House floor back in 2021 that Trump is responsible for what happened. And then two weeks later, he went down to Mar-a-Lago and begged for forgiveness and took a photo with Trump. That's back when Trump was still very powerful. Uh, and that saved Kevin McCarthy and, and brought him to this point. So it, it's like I'm saying, you, you, you don't it, things that happen two years in advance, uh, we don't see the outcome of that until much later. And, and that's a perfect example of it. McCarthy going down and begging forgiveness, leading to, ultimately to this this squabble over this week here with with um, the extreme candidates. Uh, because honestly, Kevin McCarthy shouldn't have been the candidate. They, 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 they should have realized Kevin McCarthy doesn't have the votes. There's going to be 20 no's. It's going to be embarrassing. We go to the, you're going to have to go to multiple ballots and where it's going to be chaos and it's not good for our party moving forward. So they should have kicked Kevin McCarthy to the curb and found a, a concession candidate. So um, Kevin McCarthy, the only way he got the speakership was to give away everything that wasn't bolted to the ground in the store. And, and that's what's going to lead to the problems moving forward. But, but, you know, I talked about that a little bit and I'll continue to talk about that moving forward. And, and we won't know how that unfolds until we see it here over the next few months or even weeks, even maybe even days, as crazy as that is. But on a final note with Trump and Kevin McCarthy thanking him, uh, you can't help but think that uh, Kevin McCarthy definitely owes him one and wanted to make sure that Trump got the thank, the, the, the uh, applause uh, at that pivotal moment. Um, but what does Trump have on him to, to get him there, you know? And I, I think one of the things that he got for Trump was this select committee that McCarthy promised to create, similar to like the January 6th select committee. They're going to do a select committee that is going to investigate the weaponization of the Department of Justice. 
that right that's that's the way they frame it and and the, you know i imagine this is the search warrant and investigation into trump that this is a big part of it so that seems to be one of the big things that trump got for getting behind mccarthy and and trying to push some of these members over the line but trump trump had very little to do sadly with with um kevin mccarthy winning the speakership and boy it was it was quite sad to see it on out in public like that and and i think a lot of people noticed it hopefully finally and we'll start agreeing that trump is kind of a relic of the past and we can move on now it doesn't mean the moderates are going to somehow take back their party here you know what i mean the mitch romneys of the world aren't going to be the leaders of the republicans in the near term but uh, there's an opportunity there for someone to step out. And, and I think that's why you're going to see people like Liz Cheney really become attack dogs over the next year and say, Hey man, well, there, there's opportunity here for us to, to, uh, fight back and take our party back, but it's going to take them some time. It's going to be years before they can, they can pull it away from this MAGA stuff. They've got to lose a bunch more before people wake up and sober up, shall we say. Okay, we're getting close to the end here. Let's let's focus on some positive stuff since we've there's so so many negative things with the Republicans. But the best part of of this drawn out process, four days of ballots, was that C-SPAN had free reign with their cameras in the chamber. They were able to film all sorts of things that we normally can't see. Whether it was huddles of different lawmakers, we saw people like Matt Gates and AOC. Matt Gates sitting with Pramila Jayapal having conversations, um, and and it just showed that these people can get along. They disagree for sure, but the public doesn't see that they can actually shake hands and sit down next to one another and have conversations, and and not not freak out on each other all the time. And and I think that's really good for the American people to see that and encourage the rest of us to get along you know you hear people talking about civil war and nonsense like that but even these extreme leaders are able to get along and and be civil and hang out and and even be friendly with each other and we saw that thanks to the c-span cameras so that was that was really cool and it was they they also were able to show the drama of these major votes where there's a lot of energy and there's people huddling and and meetings and emotion like when Mike Rogers confronted Matt Gates and had to be held back we would never see stuff like that during normal C-SPAN coverage and that's because as soon as the speaker is selected and the party that won the chamber is in control then they restrict what the cameras can see they always do maybe that's not the case this time maybe because the public was so enthralled and there was so much interest in watching what was going on in the members thanks to the cameras maybe just maybe i'm i'm not going to hold out hope but maybe just maybe the gop who are narcissists and so into raising their personal profiles will lobby their leadership to allow c-span some a little more freedom but i'm not going to count on it i i'm not even going to even gonna even think about it because it's gonna be disappointing if it doesn't happen but it was a real treat to see the different camera shots and and i tell you c-span that don't sleep on c-span they know how to be entertaining and they knew where the drama was they knew who to focus on that they could have screwed that up royally but they knew exactly what to show and i, I was just tickled by the c-span coverage and i'm really sad to see it go away we'll, we'll find out even i think on monday 
when they come back to debate the rules package, if if the the cameras are allowed a little more freedom, but I doubt it. Another positive thing was watching the Democrats be so united. I mean, we we had a uh, chant on our channel two twelve because there were 212 Democrats. There should be 213, but as I mentioned, one of our members passed away a couple weeks after the midterms, and that seat will stay Democrat, but they have to have a special election, so it's going to take a little time. So we had 212 members there, and on almost every ballot, it was 212 for Hakeem Jeffries, and the Democrats gave rousing speeches and pointing out the diversity of our caucus and and what we want to accomplish and juxtapose that to the chaos that was happening on the other side and you know democrats didn't get much attention because republicans were were in such disarray that obviously the stories were about them but it was nice to see united fronted and listen we have a um a big tent we have a lot of personalities we have a lot of ideologies in our party too it's not it's not that much different than the Republicans. We have um, some extreme ideologies in our party, too. We have people that want to abolish ICE all the way up to people that are against abortion. So and and Hakeem Jeffries and the leadership team were able to bring together everybody and be in lockstep to vote for him every single time and not make any demands for their vote or anything like that. And they could have. They, it was a great opportunity for a Democrat to be a detractor and get some attention, but nobody did that. And it was great. And the only time Hakeem didn't get 212 votes was when he got 211 on the 11th vote, and that's because Representative David Trone of Maryland, who I never heard of before, he had surgery at 7 a.m. on that on on that day, and so he missed one of the ballots, and he wasn't able to vote. But he came back at 2 p.m. after surgery, in in and he still had his hospital socks and slippers on to vote. Uh, uh, you know, because that's how important it was for the Democrats to to be there and to. Hold the GOP accountable and and be in unison. The, the the poor guy was under anesthesia at 7 a.m. and then he's he's voting at 2 p.m. with the Democrats and they kept him up late. It was on the uh, the the Friday night where they they adjourned until 10 p.m. and then came back and voted and were up until past midnight. So what a trooper, man! I I was uh, really really impressed with the Democrats. And, and here's the thing. The Democrats showed everybody, um, especially with a big speech by Hakeem Jeffries before Kevin McCarthy officially got the gavel for speaker and gave his speech. The Democrats showed that this isn't going to be the old game. This is not going to be 2015, 2016, where Republicans were walking all over the Democrats with the Benghazi crab. This is, this is a new game. We know how to play now, and we're ready to fight. And Democrats have a whole plan laid out to push back on, on the Republicans and their ludicrous investigations they're going to conduct into Hunter Biden and all that nonsense. So th this is not the same Democratic Party. We are ready to scrap. And showing a united front was a big display of that. So I'm excited. I'm, I'm real excited. We had a generational shift in leadership with Nancy Pelosi, Stanley Hoyer, and Jim Clyburn, all people in their 80s, stepping down from leadership to hand the reins over to a, a, a new group, two generations below them, with Hakeem Jeffries in his 50s leading from Brooklyn. You know, he brings this energy, this New York energy, and uh, he's out there quoting Biggie Smalls and 
he's just an energetic guy, and obviously he's got the respect of his caucus because of that 212 he got over and over again. And, and, and next to him is Catherine Clark, who's also in her 50s, and, and she's this charismatic speaker who, who really grabs people's attention. And finally, P. Aguilar, who was nominating Hakeem Jeffries quite a few times. He, he had a lot of energy down there, and it's, he's in his 40s, early 40s. So really cool to see the new Dem leadership stepping up. And though they didn't get much attention, they still showed that we're unified and ready to rock. So super cool. Another interesting story was George Santos. So everybody forgot about George Santos, and, and, and he was the happiest man in that chamber because of that. He was the center of attention going into this speaker vote because of his lies that he's been caught about his employment, his schooling, on and on. And, you know, the cameras were chasing him around on the the Tuesday, the first day before they voted through the halls of Congress. And he was getting a lot of attention, rightfully so. You know, let's let's call this guy out and, and wondering what's going to happen when they get sworn in. Are they going to do an ethics investigation? And is he going to get tossed or what? What? how are the Republicans going to deal with this? But, you know, Kevin McCarthy and leadership was super silent about George Santos. And they still are because they needed his vote. That's, you know, it was that close, obviously, for the speakership. So they couldn't trash him. They couldn't say they're going to toss him. They needed his vote. So they left him alone. And and uh, we were the cameras, the C-SPAN cameras were able to show George Santo as a as uh, on day one. He was a pariah. He sat in the back uh, all the way against in the aisle seat in the all the way in the back. No one was talking to him. He, he really was on his own. And I was shocked. Because he's a celebrity, even though he's a terrible person, he still had a lot of attention and media on him and interest. And so I thought it, there's got to be one of these ghouls, at least, that, that will soak that up and want to be next to him and get some of the attention and have some of his celebrity wear off on them. Even terrible. I mean, even serial killers get letters in prison about people that are in love with them and, and want to marry them and such. So... I was shocked that nobody wanted to be George's friend on day one, but you know, it's it changed by day two. He was already chatting with people a little bit, and then Marjorie Taylor Greene took him under her wing, and uh, it was all over from there on because he was right in the middle of everything. He was friends with all the weirdos like Bobert, and by the end of it, by the fourth day. He was sitting right next to Matt Gates, the center of attention. So what a journey for George Santos from outcast on day one, sitting by himself, to sitting next to the center of attention, Matt Gates. Uh, I'm actually impressed. Uh, um, I'm still disgusted with George Santos, and he drags the, the body down, and, and he sows distrust in government in a way that nobody has in a long time. It's one thing to lie. And, you know, I think a lot of these people lie about who they are and they, they, they embellish on their resumes. I shouldn't say a lot, but definitely on the right, a lot of these people do. But it's another thing to get caught. And this sloppy guy got caught. He, he went too far with his lies and he got busted. And... What a stink he's got on him. And I hope they kick him out. I don't know how. I, th I think they, there's the investigations will ultimately reveal some financial uh, some financial problems for him that, that cause him to, to be tossed or to lose. I mean, at the very least, I think he's going to lose his, uh, his re-election. But 
I I, a par, uh, I have a little bit of hope that that some investigation will charge him with a with a crime related to his finances and and lying on forms to the FEC and and that could bring him down. But but we'll see. I don't know. It's tough to say. But wow, very interesting to watch George Santos um, make friends over the course of a couple of days. And then the final thing I'll say, a silver lining of this whole thing, and forgive me for saying this, you know, I'm a forever optimist. I'm always looking for the positive, even in the worst of times. And boy, th this was the worst of times, uh, uh, primarily for the Republican Party. But it, it still was really difficult and sad to see the chamber go through this, this level of dysfunction. But a silver lining was... The Republicans and the Dems having conversations. According to members, and, and this is both on the left and the right, people were talking. They were they they were had nothing else to do but sit there and, and they couldn't go far because the votes didn't take that long and, and they had to be there to vote to adjourn or against it or for uh, their their nominate nomination for nominee for speaker, whether the Democrat or Republican. So they kind of were sitting there and some of the members were reading books and other people scrolling through their phones. But we saw quite a few conversations between Republicans and Democrats. And I saw interviews, uh, for example, AOC was on MSNBC talking about her discussions with Matt Gates and what they were what they were chatting about. And, and we saw Pramila Jayapal sitting there chatting with Matt Gates for a while. And just people you never thought would would be able to get along were, were kind of chatting. Um, and people on the right also said they were sitting there and having conversations with Democrats. And some, I, I heard one Republican say he, he had more conversations than he's had in years and, with the Democrats. So maybe something good comes from that. Maybe some trust, some, some good, good, um, what do you call it? I don't know. Some good graces have been built and, and maybe that leads to, to a, 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 a body that functions a little better in the future. I, I hope, right? I mean, I always think that getting to know people is good. If you hate someone and, and you really disagree with them, I think finding out who they are and why they have the positions that, that they hold um, really helps to, to try to bridge bridge a a position that just cannot be solved or or a conflict that can't be resolved you know that's 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 always how you do it uh an impasse shall we say so i i i can't help but think that there will be some good things that come out of these members being stuck in the chamber for four days for hours and people even just passing one another and saying hi or sitting down for a while and chatting or sharing a coffee or something. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, you know, I'm sorry. I apologize. But I'm I'm forever optimistic about about what can be done in the future. And I love when mom things like this um, uh, give an opportunity for for bridges to be built. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, there you go. The Republicans chose a speaker after four days and 15 ballots. What a mess they made. And a sign of things to come. I, I don't have any faith that these guys are going to be able to govern. They, they came up with some ex cute excuses that this was democracy in action and the American people loved it. Seeing these guys work out their differences, I disagree. The Democrats just sat there, half the body, wondering when can we get to work. 
and it, it was um, just um, nasty, some of the stuff that was uh, uh, on display by the Republicans. I mean, just a mad scramble for uh, negotiating with one another in between the votes being counted and then lengthy adjournments, which is basically voting to, to stop working. And that that's not good at all. And Republicans claim better to work out our problems now than in the future. And I think that this just emboldens the legislative terrorists like Matt Gates and the gang to push for more in the future and to, to indicate to everyone who's really running the asylum, you know? So, Wild stuff. Look, what's coming up this week? Uh, staying on topic here, the House rules vote will be on Monday and, and at 5 p.m. Eastern time. This is a chance for the, the moderates in the party to strike back. These guys have been uh, sitting back uh, watching as Kevin McCarthy gave everything to the more conservative members of their caucus. And now... Some moderate Republicans in the House are saying, I'm a no on the rules, and a couple others are saying, I'm a maybe. So this is going to be fascinating to see the moderates strike back on Monday, and I'll be watching it live. It's going to be a blast. Um, second of all, Republicans claim once they do get the House in order that the first thing that bill they're going to introduce is to resend IRS, the, the IRS agents, quote-unquote, that uh, Biden funded with the Inflation Reduction Act, the 87,000 agents, which in actuality, it's it's to replenish people that are retiring and to fill some gaps. I mean, if, he, if you listen to Republicans, you'd think Biden's starting a uh, his own uh, Wagner group, armed IRS agents to kick down the door of truck drivers around America because they made a mistake on their 1040 easy. I mean, come on, this is, a, this is ridiculous. The IRS is underfunded. It's abused by the rich. We have a perfect example of that by Donald Trump not uh, not being audited by the IRS while he was president uh, when when by their regulations he should have been but they didn't have the resources or the capability to do so because of his complicated tax returns I mean if that's not evidence enough that the rich are getting away with murder at the IRS I, I don't know what is and then another funny thing, the Republicans, uh, Kevin McCarthy specifically promised to read the entire Constitution when Republicans take over as one of their first acts of business. So that's going to be horrifically boring, and I doubt any Americans will pay attention and tune in and learn about the Constitution. But, you know, I, I really hope they read the amendments too, right? That, that's, that, that'd be pretty key. So there you go. A wild week once in a century event for the house it was a trip to watch the whole thing unfold um plenty of other stories happening and we'll we'll keep an eye out i hope you guys come hang out it's 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 been a blast having the twitch stream if you come to twitch.tv slash i'm really important coming out with us live monday through friday right now i'm doing 2 p.m pacific as a start time trying that out see how it goes but thanks again for listening appreciate you guys have a great week Talk to you later.